the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Let's do it. Let's do a 2023 recaps. First podcast of the year being recorded on January 3rd here. And 2023 was a year of insane rate movements. First of all, to, to think about this 2023 wild ride in interest rates, we have to go all the way back to July of 2022, which I believe is the last time where interest rates inverted at a bit over 3% on the two and 10 year US Treasury. So, Typically, a 10-year U.S. Treasury is going to pay more than a two-year U.S. Treasury because if you're going to loan money to the government for 10 years, you you want to get paid more, right? I got to give you my money for longer. I got to wait 10 years to get my money back instead of two years. So you better pay me more. Um, But oftentimes when the feds do things like raise rates, they raise the overnight lending rates between banks. So shorter-term instruments, the interest rates go up faster, and then longer term bonds, the market kind of waits out. Oh, we'll see it when we believe it. Is the Fed really going to do this or not? Well, they did. And so back in July of 2022, interest rates inverted, meaning two-year treasuries started paying more than 10-year treasuries. And now when we look at a chart, I mean, it was such a wild ride. I mean, to go, uh, I mean, we're still inverted. Don't get me wrong. That's an interesting thing. We've got basically the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate at about 3.88% at the end of the year. It's already hit about 4 so it's been up in 2022 or 2024 already, um, touching almost 4%. The two-year Treasury ended the year at 4.23%. But at one point, it was two-year was down to 3 back in April. The 10-year was down to 3.75. The Two-year got all the way up to oh, 5.2% or so. Uh, the 10-year almost got to 5%. And then the bond market rallied in the last month and a half. So when we go all the way back to October of 2023, about mid-October, most of your bond funds were down about 3.5% total return. Now, the price movement was a little bit more to the downside. However, you earned interest on those bonds. So the total return by about mid-October is down 3.5%. Everyone started piling into bonds, though, after the Federal Reserve basically hinted at rate cuts for 2024. So we saw over an 8% rally in bonds since mid-October. 
Uh, that's a wild ride. I mean, I, this is the 30th year in the business. And yeah, we had the taper tantrum of 2013, but in terms of wild ride on interest rates over the last two years, it's been insane. Um, now, the good news is that rates are still you know, closer to where they were back in 2006 and 2007. So that idea of having a balanced portfolio, a balanced portfolio typically means half stocks, half bonds, or 60% stocks, 40% bonds type of a situation is now attractive once again, where if you remember in 2022 and early 2023, the idea of the 60-40 portfolio was dead. And eh, man, I've heard that a couple of times in my career, and that's never the case. You always want to run a balanced portfolio in retirement. Now, when we look at uh, the return of a couple of bond ETFs that are very popular out there. One is just Vanguard's bond ETF, BND. And I will say that, especially in a rate environment like this, I much prefer actively managed bond funds over ETFs. When it comes to large cap exposure, I prefer ETFs in many cases. Um, but in the bond world, I prefer actively managed. So these are not recommendations. This is just to show you a little bit of what happened last year. Um, if we look at BND, which is Vanguard's total bond market ETF, or you could look at iShares AGG, the uh, basically Barclays Agri- uh, US bond index. Um, both of them ended up the year at a little bit, uh, 5.65% or so total return. And again, that was at one point they were down about th- a little over 3% at the end of October. And we had that 8% rally to the upside. So pretty large increase. And at the end of the year, sitting there thinking to myself, a little too far, too fast, a little bit too many people ru- shoving money into bonds at the last part of the year. And sure enough, we have pulled back on bonds. And when bonds go down, rates tend to go up a bit. And we got a little bit closer to 5% or 4% again on the U.S. Uh, 10-year treasury. So probably a little bit too far. Um, rates need to settle. We have some economic news coming out that I think the market has said, oh, yeah, yeah, the Fed's cutting rates eight times in 2024. And nobody's thinking that there's could be potentially another path to this. And the Fed is going to be very dependent on data. Inflation, growth, how's the GDP doing? It, it's, it's not just we're going to say it, we're going to do it. They are going to pay attention to the data. Speaking of a bit too far, QQQ rallied, and that's the NASDAQ, rallied 24% from the end of October to end the year 54.85% higher on the NASDAQ. Let's let that sink in for a minute. The NASDAQ was up 54.85% for the year. S&P 500 up 26.19% total return. I look at uh, Invesco's equal-weighted ETF, RSP, which I mentioned throughout the year. Finally had a year-end rally because that index, which was, you know, it's it's not market cap weighted like the S&P 500. If you listen to the podcast all year long, we're talking about how the S&P 500 and NASDAQ have become much more similar than in recent times. The equal-weighted RSP is equal-weighted across the S&P 500, all, all the companies. That was up 13.7%. So it showed when you're a little bit more diversified across all 500 companies in America, not quite the 26% return, but the S&P 500 had because that's, you know, because of the magnificent seven. Um, emerging markets, though, 8.99%. 
so it, it's interesting to look at it because you think of China, you think about the war and Russia and Ukraine and all those things going on. And it, there was not a lot of thoughts of positive returns in emerging markets. We were talking about how fundamentally attractive they are when you look at price to earnings ratio, but you got to have catalysts. You got to have revenue growth. And uh, But we still had a decently positive year in emerging markets, up at 8.99%. International developed, 18.4%. The Russell 2000, which is small and mid-cap, ETF. Now, I will say not the best because, you know, you got 30% of the companies not making money in it um, because of, you know, kind of the biotech, the the up and coming uh, soon to make money type companies. Right. Uh, But the Russell 2000 up 16.84%. And let's talk about value versus growth again to wrap up 2023, because the idea still in 2024 is that value, small cap, Real estate, those types of things have really lagged large cap growth again. So, for example, when you break down investing in stocks, you have large cap, small cap, mid cap, and you have value investors and you have growth investors. Look at Vanguard's value ETF VTV up 9.32% for the year, while VUG, their growth ETF, was up 46.83%. And that happened all the way down the line. If you look at uh, a, a basic sm- uh, small cap ETF like Vanguard's VB, the total return was 18.23%. Um, on the growth side, VBK, their small cap growth ETF, was up 21.45. And VBR, the small cap value ETF, was up 16.01%. So growth beat value across the board. But I'm going to talk about what happened over the last two years and why you need to own both in your portfolio. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. All right, value versus growth is what we were talking about. Two different styles of investing. You need them both over your lifetime. Uh, If you tend to go only growth, you have more volatile periods of time, which is fine when you're younger. But when you are living off of your portfolio, it's a little bit more scary. Value tends to disappoint in a really rally mode where things like tech stocks and and new technology and um, science is affecting the markets. But in the long term, slow and steady can win the race. You actually need them both. So like I said last year, you have large cap growth of about 46, almost 47% large cap value of 9.32. On the small cap side, um, there was a really late in the year rally. The small cap value was really dragging, uh, lagging small cap growth, but small cap growth is up 21.45% last year, uh, whereas small cap value is up about 16%. Even on the dividend growth side, so you've heard me over the years talk about dividend growth investing, where you look at the S&P 500 um, and even some mid-cap indexes. It doesn't work as much in the small cap world, uh, but you look at companies that, have a history of increasing their dividends. Vanguard's ETF VIG uh, is based on the NASDAQ Dividend Achiever Index. Um, 
And that was up 14.5% last year. So like the S&P 500, because a little bit of lack of technology stocks, many of which of the Magnificent Seven um, don't have that history of 10% average annual dividend increase, versus Schwab's ETF, SCHD, which is a more value approach to that type of dividend growth approach, um, up 4.57%. So it even lagged there for the year. It was definitely a growth rebound year. And as I'll talk about in a minute, that's because growth had gotten hammered so hard in 2022. And if we look at it, um, on December 15th, the last time FactSet put out their earnings insight, which I love to read their Friday report called Earnings Insight from FactSet during each quarter when earnings are coming out. And on 12-15, FactSet said the forward 12-month PE ratio, that's the price-to-earnings ratio for the S&P 500 was 19.3, which is above the five-year average of 18.8 and definitely above the 10-year average of 17.6. When I look at Y charts, when I pull up an S&P 500 fund like SPY, it says the forward PE ratio Forecasted PE ratio is at 18.75. Now, when I look at something like the Russell 1000 value index, um, so you get large and mid-cap value, we're looking at a 14.05 forecast PE ratio, according to FactSet. Or I'm sorry, according to white charts in this case. So that's the thought. That's the theme so far going into 2024 is that, okay, if we are continuing on this soft landing, and not having a recession as a result of the Fed's increasing rates so quickly last year, that the rest of the market, not just tech stocks, the rest of the market will continue to kind of melt up along with what the tech stocks did. Now, I, I will say that when everybody on Wall Street saying the same thing, a lot of times some of the opposite happens. Um, don't be surprised if you get that January rebalancing and volatility and don't forget, we have two wars going on right now. We have um, a whole bunch of commercial real estate that needs to be refinanced in the next few quarters. So there's definitely some things to be aware of to say, okay, I don't want to get out over my skis. I need to rebalance my portfolio. I need to take potentially some of the gains off growth and look at a bit of value in my portfolio. If I'm retired and I'm supposed to have a you know, balanced portfolio, it's time to rebalance. It's time to make sure that I've replenished my cash. It's time to make sure that you look at your idea of what are your portfolio draws? How much do you draw out of your portfolio in retirement in addition to your social security and everything else and making sure you have two to three years worth of that safe, safe money, especially now that you can get four and a half, five percent 5% on FDIC insured bank accounts without tying them up in a CD. Lots of options out there. Now, what we have to do is go back and look at this whole situation in that two-year perspective that I've talked about in the past, because in uh, 2022 was the tech rack, right? 2022 is the period in time at which um, the rates inverted. And so the, the Federal Reserve started to raise rates in March of 2022, I believe it was. And that caused the tech wreck. So in 2022, tech stocks were way down. So most of the you know 54% return this year was just a recovery off the lows of 2022. So if we look at the two-year return, what's the total return for these same indexes? 
when we go back to January of 2022. So includes all of 2022, all of 2022, 2023, rather. QQQ was up 4.4% over that period of time. So yeah, up 54% this last year in 2023, but it was down so far in 2022 that, hey, we were expecting a recession in 2023. We didn't have it. So stocks moved way down in 2022, recovered most of it and a little bit more in 2023. And we've moved a little bit sideways now for two years because the Fed's are raised rates. So it makes a little bit of sense, right? Uh, S&P 500 up 3.26% total return over the last two years. Russell 2000, which is more of a small and mid-cap index, uh, down 7.09% or so when I look at IWM. And so again, if we, we continue on this path of this is a longest period of time, uh, where lar especially large cap has outperformed small cap. Now, if, this is interesting because I, I told you how much value did um, in 2023. So VTV up 9.32%. That's Vanguard's value-based ETF, whereas the S&P 500 was up over 26%. But if we look at a two-year return, VTV is up 7.07%, right? Versus the S&P 500 up 3.26. So even though if you would have bought value in January 2022, and you held it all through 2023, in 2023, you would have been disappointed in your returns. But in 2022, you didn't fall as much. So in that two-year period, you've come out ahead. That's why you have to own both value and growth in your portfolio. Another example of this is VUG. We look at the two-year return of VUG, Vanguard's growth ETF, since January 2022, it's down 1.85%. Interesting, right? So um, on the small cap side, small cap growth is down 13% over that two-year period. Small cap value is up 5%. And bonds down 8.11% over that period of time. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. The point of going over what happened in 2023, much of which was a rebound of an oversell off in 2020. Two, um, obviously bonds were down over that period of time, which was because rates had to go up. I mean, we were at historic lows. We had to return to at some point where we were prior to the financial crisis. We're, you know, we touched for a moment five year on the 10 year treasury, but pulled right back down to under 4%. Um, but, you know, retirees needed to earn some money on their bank accounts, their savings accounts, their CDs, their anything fixed because inflation was just eating all that money away. And 
the feds had to raise rates because they need some arrows in their quiver for the next time we have a financial situation. And that happens. And we have recessions every five to seven years or so. We still haven't had one. I mean, the rate, you know, twos and tens inverted. So you're still, like I said before, you're still paying, getting paid more on a two-year U.S. Treasury than a 10-year U.S. Treasury. And so we can't really ignore that. That says the there is, you know, either short-term rates have to come down, long-term rates have to come up. Um, long story short, things look like it's a soft landing situation. Who knows if the recession that everybody expected in 2022 will ever come. Um, I can tell you if we look at real estate, even though IYR, which is um, iShares Real Estate ETF, so a, a basket of a whole bunch of different REITs, up 11.93%. Most of that rally came in the end of the year in 2023, but it's still down 16.62 over the last two years, 16.62%. Um, a lot of people talking about that area because a lot of people know that office in downtown horribly run cities like San Francisco, Portland, um, not attractive, but the outskirts of, of those areas like Look at Vancouver, Washington, which is right across the bridge from Portland, Oregon, doing amazing. Um, occupancy rates on everything but office at something like 40-year highs. But we do have a lot of office properties that do have to refinance over the next couple of quarters. And uh, even though banks might not be doing that directly, there's a lot of private credit funds that will swallow that up. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of uh, quarters for sure. Um, I guess people are talk, tired of talking about it, but Bitcoin up 153% or so in 2023. Started the year around 16,000, ended the year around 42,000. So big move there. Um, lots of stories lately about um, the approval of uh, you know Bitcoin-based ETFs. Uh, well, before I get into that, um, let's talk about 401ks. Now is the time to reset. It's January 3rd. The amount that you can put into a 401k has gone up. You can now do $23,000 as a salary deferral into a 401k. And if you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year, so yes, this is the first year I got to do. Ugh, that's, that's that's tough for me to say. I got to say, tell you, I got to do a catch up contribution this year. Oh, insane. All right. Well, so that just ruined my spirits for the show, but here we go. 401k, $23,000 salary deferral. So you might need to change your percentages, especially if you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year, because that allows you to put another $7,500 into the plan. Now, I want you to make sure that you check your 401k. If you're if you're able to save more than that, more than that $30,500, if you're going to be 50 or older, check your 401k if they have the after-tax contribution option. I had two clients email me just in the last two days that where their company added it for the new year in 2024. So we already have companies, um, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, all that, that offer this option where everybody just thinks about the salary deferral portion, the 23,000 plus the 7,500 catch up. But when you look at a 401k plan, there's several different contribution types. There's your salary deferral. There's the employer match. Sometimes there's a profit share. And there's also an after-tax contribution that is allowed in 401k plans. And a lot of companies just started adding it back in. It's a mega Roth 401k that I've been talked about for the last couple of years. But 
between all of those sources, the deferral, the match, the profit share, and the after-tax, in 2024, the total amount for all sources in a 401k could be $69,000. That's up $3,000 from last year. That means if you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year with that $7,500 catch-up, between all of those sources, you can have $76,500 go into a 401k plan. Now, when I got into the business 30 years ago, I think it was like 10 grand was the max you could get into a 401k plan. So that's pretty amazing. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're making 250 grand a year. You're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year. So, and you're, you're trying to catch up, right? Maybe your kids are finally out of college and you're able to save for your retirement. So you're trying to sock away as much money as possible. In that scenario, that person could put away $23,000 as a salary deferral and save taxes, state and federal on that. You can do a $70,000 or $7,500 catch-up contribution on top of that. So in total, that's a $30,500 salary deferral between those two sources. And then let's say your company does a typical 4% match on your 250 grand of income. That's a $10,000 match. Now the total limit that can go into that 401k if you're over 50 is 76,500. So if your company offers it, that means you could put in $36,000 into the after-tax bucket. And the, the strategy with this is that as soon as it goes into the after-tax bucket, you convert it to the Roth bucket and the only taxes that you're going to pay is if you have a little bit of earnings in that short period of time that it sat in that after-tax bucket. Now, a lot of companies, um, like for example, Cisco, for, for example, if you put in the after-tax dollars, it immediately converts into the Roth bucket. Other companies, um, you have to submit a form. And so for those people that have to submit a form, we just have them set a monthly reminder or a quarterly reminder to send the form in to make sure that their 401k provider converts their after-tax dollars to the Roth. So in this scenario, guys, this this person that's 50 years older is getting 30500 in free taxes of deferral and saving taxes on that money. Their employer's putting in 10 and they're putting in another $36,000 a year that's ending up in the Roth bucket. That is powerful. That is That is an amazing way to save money because you got some pre-tax money, you've got some tax-free money in that Roth, right? So very important part of financial planning these days. So check to see if your company added that after-tax contribution option to the 401k. If they they have it, then find out, okay, do you allow me to convert it to my Roth? That's the second point. And if so, you're basically going into that mega Roth 401k. All right, Roth IRAs on top of that. So Roth IRA limits have gone up a little bit. You can put in $7,000. The catch-up contribution is the same at 1,000. So if you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year, it is uh, $8,000. <clears> so, and some people are still looking at 2023, obviously, to fund their Roths. You have to realize, though, that your your ability to fund a Roth IRA has to do with your modified adjusted growth income, which is your AGI and for most people, you add in any tax-free bond income. And so a little hard to find on your tax return because um, on your tax return on the front page of your 1040, you can see your AGI, your adjusted gross income. But your modified adjusted gross income, MAGI, includes tax-free income for most people on top of that. And a couple other items that could be in there for most people, though, it's just your AGI plus tax-free bond income. 
Now, if you file taxes as a single person, your modified adjusted gross income has to be under 153,000 for 2023 and under 161,000 in 2024 to allow you to contribute directly to a Roth IRA. If you're married filing jointly, it's 228 modified adjusted gross income for 2023 and 240 grand for 2024. So if you are making more than that and you still want to fund a Roth, you have to look at that backdoor Roth IRA option, which I'm not going to get into on several shows on it, but that is still an option for you. Um, HSA accounts, health savings accounts. This is when you go for the higher deductible plans, which allows you to open up a health savings account, which can be invested in uh, mutual funds and ETFs. Now, HSA limits, HSAs are very, very powerful, right? The reason why is because it's the only type of investment savings vehicle where you put the money in, you get a tax deduction, but it also grows tax-free as long as you use it for healthcare costs. Where the strategy works the best is when you can put the money into the HSA plan, get the tax deduction, and let it grow. And you still have enough cash flow to fund your healthcare costs and your high deductibles out of your cash flow or your savings. Um, that's when this thing works the best because what you do is you build up a bunch of money in your health savings account and then wait until you retire. And that way, once you retire, you can pull the money out of that health savings account tax-free to pay for your Medicare Part B, long-term care insurance, your co-pays and all that kind of stuff. So that's when the strategy works best. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, depending on how much you go to the doctor, um, is also a big issue here, but most companies have made it very attractive to go to an HSA plan. The other thing I want people to think about is that California forced a lot of contract workers to go to W-2 status. And you want to find out if you're a non-statutory W-2 employee, which will allow you to do things like individual 401k and other retirement savings vehicles. Well, January is the time to think about portfolio rebalancing, especially when you've had a 2022 decline in tech and a huge rebound in 2023, which puts you ahead of the game in tech. Um, obviously, that's where a lot of the revenue growth is, but you also have a lot of high PE, price to earnings ratio. And um, the idea that rates are coming back down, and the Federal Reserve is hinting at that, you have to realize that means it's because they need to speed back the economy, speed the economy back up rather. It's, they went, they raised rates too much. It slowed down a little bit much and now they're worried about it going into recession. So you have to realize that it is rebalance time. Now there's a couple of different ways to do that. When you're younger, you can focus your contributions on rebalancing, for example. So if you look at your portfolio, look at your 401k, it's where most people have all their money, right? And hey, I've only been investing in the S&P 500 for the last several years. Well, you can focus your contributions on a paycheck by paycheck basis in some of the asset classes that you may not own, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets. Uh, if, if you're older and you like your asset allocation, but you realize, oh, I need to start adding fixed income, maybe you focus on adding fixed income over the next year or two. So you can focus while you're still working. You can fix your asset allocation by contributions or by rebalancing. 
What's nice about many 401ks is you can set an automatic annual or quarterly rebalance where you say, this is the asset class that I'm going for, or the asset allocation, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds. And you pick the asset allocation. And then once a year, once every six months, once a quarter, however you set it up, the system will go back and rebalance to your target asset allocation. That becomes more important, especially in that 10 years from retirement or in retirement. Because like I always say, by the five years from retirement, you want your portfolio to look like you want it to look the day you retire. You want your balanced portfolio with your three years worth of portfolio draws and save money. And the reason why is because if you don't have it set up and you go into retirement in 2007, in 1999, in 2020, um, and all of a sudden you're hit with one of these large market declines and you need to pull money out to live, you're going to really hurt your chances to have a successful retirement. You need to always make sure that you're set up for these tough market cycles because when we look at the stock market, it's been positive over 70% of the time in the last 50 years with 11% average rate of return on on the S&P 500. But it's what you do in those years that are negative, that makes all the difference. And I'm not trying to say go all in or go all out because I've never met anybody that's successful at doing that. It's the idea that when the market is down, you're still earning dividends and interest from your portfolio. Stocks pay dividends, bonds pay interest. And most of them do that even in difficult market cycles. There's only a couple companies that we had to sell in 08, 09 that were cutting their dividends or suspending it during that period of time most of the other ones had an increase in their dividends that we owned. And so we got paid to wait. We could still live off of dividends from the stocks and interest from the bonds, even though the market was down. But what we didn't want to do is sell shares because then you have less shares in the portfolio to recover. So that's why you have to have a certain amount of cash on the sidelines in retirement. So you want that to be set up and ready to go five years prior to retirement. So now if you're getting ready to retire, is the time to fix your portfolio, especially after a huge increase in the market, like we saw in 2023, where things reset. They oversold in 2022, reset in 2023. And now we have this potential soft landing in 2024. So you got to take a look at your asset allocation. And that's large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets. You can have some alternative in there as well, like real estate, commodities, private credit, private equity. That's for the larger portfolios above $2 million in my exam, in my opinion. But you also have to look at your portfolio in terms of your style, value versus growth. Are you going for the growth companies that might not, they might be trading at a high price to earnings ratio, but their revenue growth is off the charts and they're just in the right space. AI, um, science, technology, healthcare. You're tending to get... Well, healthcare is not a great example, but more advanced healthcare companies in the more biotech space, right? So uh, you need to make sure that you have a certain amount of value versus growth. Earlier in the show, I talked about value and how drastic underperformer versus growth in 2023. But if you look and invested in it in 2022, in the beginning, your return would have been higher two years later because it didn't fall as much in 2022. Less volatility, better rate of return. You also need sector allocation, right? Now, this is where a lot of people miss because they look at their portfolio and say, oh, I'm, I'm good on large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, but they're they're just in specific sectors. There's 11 main sectors of the S&P 500, communication services, 
consumer discretionary, financials, industrials, utilities, consumer staples, energy, real estate, healthcare, materials, and technology. So you also need to look through your portfolio. Morningstar calls it an x-ray, right? And see of what you own, what's the asset allocation, large, small, mid, international, emerging markets, bonds. What's the style? That's value versus growth. Do you have a little bit in each? And then what's your sector allocation? You've really got to look all the way through that point in time. And so by sitting down, especially when you're closer to retirement and saying, this is my stated investment policy. This is what I'm going for in terms of growth versus defensive and then even deeper in asset allocation. You, you need to stick to that. And that actually makes the hardest part of investing a lot easier. The hardest part of investing is when to sell. It's really easy to fall in love with a stock or an idea or a CEO and justify when you buy more. Oh, what dropped? It's coming back. I'm going to buy more. Oh, well, I, you know, I believe in this. It's, it's, it's going to come way back. But when you have asset allocation targets, when your large cap becomes too much above your target, you know you need to sell and buy something else that hasn't done quite as well, but probably will done be doing better later. Look at the Callan Periodic Table of Investments, for example. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find the podcast links, uh, LinkedIn, all of those different things. Just go to chadburton.com. You can request a meeting with a certified financial planner practitioner. Just go to chadburton.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.